So welcome to the Visions and Tones podcast. Uh, today I'm talking to colleagues who are in South Africa. They are both master's candidates in the sociology department at the University of Johannesburg. And they wrote a beautiful piece, which I felt like um, it completes the puzzle, but they'll tell us whether that was an intent or that was an intent to sort of pose a critique, a scholarly critique to Statistics South Africa. The paper is titled, or rather the opinion piece is titled, Father Absenteeism is a Serious uh, Issue in South Africa, Especially Among Black Men. And I'm talking to Mr. Fuzile Joacha and uh, Miss um, Notula Peza. Good morning in South Africa. How are you doing? Good morning. Good good afternoon or good evening in Australia. <laughs> uh, I hope you're well, Tony. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Can you just maybe before we kick start, tell us briefly about yourself and what your research project uh, is about uh, on your master's level and whether you've got other things you're doing outside of your master's level? Uh, okay, so uh, my research project is uh, currently looking at um, uh, uh, the visibility of um, queer students or queer act uh, activism at, at our university campus, um, basically asking the question of what happened to queer activists after FISMAS fall, after they were so crucial to the entire movement. What happened to them at our institutions? Are they still visible or was it just something where they were useful for that point in time? And then we went right back to basically what you would say, the kids would say factory settings. Um, so that's what I'm looking at. And um, what has sparked it, actually, funny enough, is Tony's own paper on campus activism. And I was like, ah, actually, campus activism. But I want to look at a different part of campus activism. So, <laughs> so there's that. Um, so, yeah, uh, my, my most of my... Uh, okay, so that's one of my interests. But some of my interests also include looking at uh, social, political, economic issues, um, South Africa, and also looking at geopolitics. I'm very much into that, but for the most part, I prefer to be all round because I also um, had a bit of an interest, which is why we ended up collaborating. <laughs> so even critically and everything. So yeah, for the most part, that's what I do outside of the university. Um, usually maybe write an opinion piece or two there and there and uh, uh, uh volunteering at like an animal shelter you know so it's just what i do or also even playing cricket so yeah that's what i do outside of the university i actually play cricket i'm not as decent as i used to be because i'm <laughs> i don't take it as seriously as i once did so yeah um i'm Noctula Peza, a master's candidate at the university of Johannesburg sociology department um, so I'm focusing on fatherhood. So it's actually my field, um, fatherhood, but then I'm looking at it from a decolonial lens. I'm looking at fathers, lived experiences, fathers from the townships. So what sparked my interest is, um, basically I was working on a, on, well, it's not a project. It's bigger than a project. With Prof and Tabi Singh, we're working on township studies. So I realized that, okay, so, men from the townships are basically underexplored and mostly fathers because when you look at um, studies on fathers or anything on fathers it's usually um, father fathers are absent men are trash um, men are perpetrators of violence and all that so i figured um okay i'm raised by my father um he's involved he acknowledges me um so i figured okay so maybe there are other men who are just as similar to him then i figured okay let me do a study on fathers who are involved and um, let me look at it from, let me not use mostly like Western concepts on fatherhood, but then let me use our own indigenous concepts um, to explore fatherhood. So um, outside of, yeah, outside of uh, my studies, I volunteer or I work closely with Prof and Tabi Singh on township studies. So I'm not like Fuzila who's all into sports and oh, I'm not into sports. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's good. It's good for me to be chatting with you. And uh, I'm very proud um, 
in the way that you sort of wrote the paper because I feel like it has very great uh, contribution. Uh, though as, a, as an opinion piece, it can be sort of stretched forth in a scholarly way, but I'd love to hear more uh, about some of the puzzles that I feel like maybe they might be missing here and there. But before we do that, of late, when we sort of see the contestations about the trans narrative, you know, uh, criticisms about the latest version of what a woman is, uh, probably basically looking at that as maybe a revisionist or a critique towards the LGBT uh, plus community. I thought when I looked at your paper, I was a little bit challenged by the sort of question I asked myself, what exactly is a father? And I want to sort of, you know, allow the space for us to begin maybe from there. Because outside of the, you know, conversation about the trans narrative, I think the idea of what a real man also have always been relative compared to also what is a real woman, right? In some contexts, a real woman would be one who's married, but also some women who are married, but they haven't got children, they would sort of be you know, not sort of labeled as real women until you have you have children. So it's not just a question that for me, I think it holds this it holds more more greater ground in the context of transgender narrative. Same way as a man, you know, the more you have girlfriends, you might be considered that's the real man, right? If you're not married, you're not man enough. But what exactly is a father? So the fact that I gave uh I donated, I'm going to say donate, I donated my sperm cells to somebody else and the baby came, boom. Does that make me a father? Um, okay, so basically, the whole term of fatherhood, ne, we think that it stems from the colonial perspective of a nuclear family. So basically, fatherhood is tied to being a husband in most cases. However, we argue that a father is not just about biological conception, but then it's like we said in the paper, it's about presence. And by presence, we don't mean like physical, physically present, but then it also has to do with emotional presence as well. And then also um, there's acknowledgement. So he needs to acknowledge that. Okay, so I have someone a young a younger someone that I'm supposed to take care of and look after. And also there's um involvement. So he needs to be involved, invested in raising that child and being there for the child. And also it's remember we did say that it's not just about biological conception, but then taking ownership because fatherhood is a role more than anything. So you have to accept the role in order for you to actually be considered a father. Um, yes. So basically what essentially we are trying to do in um, trying to uh, critique how we view father fatherhood is it's, it's a critical um, analysis of how, fatherhood is mostly tied to provision and material. So it's basically how being a father has been reduced to um, material, um, material, like it's become very materialistic um, concept where it's all about if you can provide or not. It's not about whether that person is actually there, whether they invested in their children's lives um, or, or even there. So you find that in whether somebody is considered a good father or not stems on whether they have the money or don't have the money. Someone who maybe in, which is a, is a, a big reality in South Africa is unemployed might be considered a bad father or you're not really a good father because you are unemployed. But when you look at every other part of his life, He's the one who fetches the child. He knows what's his um, child's favorite color. He knows when it's the birthday. He's the one who plans it. He will even tell everyone, you're not getting this child this decoration. This It's not their thing. They don't like Mickey Mouse. They don't like, oh, even Barbie. They like this. They know. Because they're like, no, uh, we always come back from square. Whenever I fetch the child from daycare, they always tell me what they like and what they don't like. So they know what's happening and being involved. And so that's one of the critiques that we have is that also, 
it doesn't look at the historical lens of how we got to where we are and how we see fatherhood today. So the colonial imposition and how basically what we what we said is um, the commodification of um, young black male bodies into the um, migration labor system where they were removed from those environments and there were so many children who grew up without a father and now they found themselves in that situation. Now there were questions of what is a father. And so the framing for many people in South Africa, even to this day, is a father is someone who just provides because that is what they have experienced. It's still something that's going on today because we still have a lot of men coming from rural areas to the urban areas and the only thing they can do for their children is just provide material. However, in the townships, it's a bit different. And that's why we decided to go about the way that we have. Because in the townships, we have different dynamics altogether. So in a succinct way, very oversimplified manner, because you've both said a lot and unpacked quite a lot. And I can hear the critique towards a colonial version of what fatherhood is. So in a succinct way, how would you put it as fatherhood? You know, what is fatherhood in a con- context of a decolonial frame that you're using? Firstly, we need to consider the the, the use of language. So fatherhood, well, okay, I'm just going to use African language, South, um, this is Zulu. So in South Africa, we have the term ubaba, which is um, basically a word that is used Okay, so we can say Ubaba basically means father. However, it doesn't at in the same time because Ubaba is a word that is used to refer to an older man. So it can be the neighbor or the uncle or whatever, but then Ubaba is tied with respect. It's tied with uh, maturity as well. Um, so... Fatherhood in an African context, you can say that um, it's, how can I put it? Um, fatherhood involves acknowledgement. It involves, um, uh, um, it, it, it's, it's, it has uh, the acceptance of the role of being a father. Um, it has less to do with biology, as I think we will get into that a bit later when we start breaking it out. But simply put, it's Ubaba is basically the acknowledgement and acceptance of the role of raising or being involved in a child's life. And it has less to do with biology than, than it has to, like it has more to do with that than it has to do with conceiving or biology. So basically that's that. But I sense that at this moment, the aspect of age seems to be silent now. Is it acknowledging also the age of the men or not? Because I think when Nuxvila started, basically put, put it in the context also of age, any older person. But in the case now that you're breaking it down, Fuz, it doesn't sound like the aspect of age is there. Um, the, the aspect of age is definitely still there. Um, not necessarily. No, it's not there. <laughs> I don't think it's there actually. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, if a if a male child, say for instance, is fifteen years old, and then um, he becomes an uncle, and he actually acts like he acknowledges that. Okay, so now I'm an uncle. So, um, my nephew or my niece should actually refer to me as. <laughs> which basically um, is a is a synonym for baba or whatever. These words are a sign of respect. So it's more about maturity, about the acts. Actually, I don't think it's about age. Uh, it's it, not about it age. <laughs> if I'm 15, then... The fools, why do you think it has to do, fools thinks it has to do with age? This is now interesting because you co-authored the paper together, but there's those elements. And and that's also, that's also the beauty of individual politics, right? Where you, you can say, okay, well, let's reconcile on something even though we might be different. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. But fools, can you weigh on it? Why do you think age matters? I mean, um, age matters because um, realistically, uh, or no, I wouldn't say realistically, but more often than not, it is someone who's older who 
usually accepts that responsibility. Whereas, uh, unfortunately, in South Africa, younger people tend to be like, mm, I'm a bit too young, I can't handle that responsibility, or don't want to, or, or that refusal to acknowledge. Some will acknowledge, but not really want that, um, that, 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 that to be involved as much, and then want to get involved later on in life. That's what we see. When they're younger, they're like, eh. and then 10 years from now, they're like, yeah, now I want to be involved. So I'd say that it does have a lot more to do with that age where the, the older they are, the more likely they will say, okay, you know what, I, I accept. So even that title, because Ubaba is just a general term and it's usually an older man and it can refer to anyone. Even someone in their 80s can be referred to as Ubaba. <laughs> So in your paper also, I'm not sure whether <clears throat> I was picking this accurately, whether it was the intent to to give a harsh critique to statistics of Africa, or the point here was to sort of say we are covering a certain lens rooted in, you know, observational analysis as opposed to giving that sort of qualitative insights about it. Can you tell us more in, in, in terms of um, the way you were thinking about the paper? Is it a critique to statistics of Africa, uh, and, and in what sense? The paper is not necessarily a critique. However, we were pointing out the limitations of Stats essay, or rather the limitations of quantitative research, actually. So um, what we saw is that with Stats essay, the report on statistics such as 62% um, of birth certificates do not have the father's um details or 31 point, please don't quote me on this, 31.2% <laughs> of um, households in South Africa do not have a male figure or do not have a father residing there or just only 6% of, of children in South Africa live with their father. So I we kind of feel that um, these statistics, they do not mirror or they do not illustrate what is happening in our society. So they are not showing us the lived experiences because, yeah, you can say that, okay, only 6% of children in South Africa have access to their father, but then, or live with their father. So now you're painting the image that the rest of the children in South Africa, especially black children, do not have, do not live with their father, number one, and number two, their father is not involved. And that is not the case. Because residency um, does not is not tied with um, involvement. Residency does not mean that okay, so this man is co-residing with their child. That means that they are super involved. They are emotionally available. Basically, they are doing what the father should do. But then you find that in most cases, um, men who are non-resident who do not stay with their children are actually the ones who are mostly involved. Yeah. I, 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 okay, so, so so this is a bit of a contentious one. Again, like you say, individual politics. Um, so I will give a backdrop. There was a point where um, my colleague wanted to remove the stats and I was like, I'm not sure about these stats. And I was like, hey, these stats are there. They are staying here. <laughs> I've got something to say about these stats. Because um, we feel that in most cases, the stats do not depict our wholesome picture. Um, in many ways, we find ourselves also parroting narratives um, such as fathers being absent when the lived realities of many children in the township is that they do not live with their fathers. However, they know who their fathers are. Their fathers are there. They find that during the holidays, when you go and visit the child, you're like, hey, where is like me saying, um, visiting one of my nephews or nieces, like, hey, where's and they're like, no, they're with their father. It's the school holidays. That's what they do. Every school holiday, they're with their father or every second weekend, they're with their father. They're like, no, the father came to fetch the child oh, it's like, oh okay no problem um so there's also that element however the stats um the it, it's not their fault it's information that is available there and so it's just us trying to basically argue or bring forth that um perhaps there could be a bit more involvement from academia from recent institutions into properly contextualizing those realities and experiences to give a more realistic image of uh, family dynamics in South Africa. So instead of framing it as, you know, just reducing it to, 
oh, this is how many fathers' details are on birth certificates. There are many fathers who are not on birth certificates for various, various reasons, a lot of them being cultural reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and, but they are there, you know, they are very involved and, 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 and they are always there. Some of them actually live with the children but are not on the certificate. So then you can't really argue and say, oh, judging by the certificate, that means they, these fathers are not there. They are, but is that what's is that what SSA does? Look at whether are you having your father's surname to sort of decide as to whether the father is present or not in your life. It seems as if um, they are doing that because why why would they publish an article and say that sixty two percent of the birth certificates do not have reliable information on the father? I mean. It seems they do not consider um, the reasons why that may be. Because like Fuzile stated out, sometimes there are cultural reasons. So in Black families, most Black families in South Africa, if you do not pay in Taulo, which is known as damages, you um, the child does not belong to you traditionally. So you may biologically conceive the child, but then you do not pay in Taulo or Ilobola, then you are considered um, not the father of the child. Even though some men, it happens that they do not pay in Klaulu, but then they still carry on seeing their child supporting, financially supporting their child. And the child gets to visit if you find one of those families who are actually nice enough to allow you to visit the child. But then there's also a thing that um, some families simply gatekeep men. They hinder them from from actually spending time with their children all because of things such as intlawulo. Right. And I like what Fuz said earlier on, we need academics to come on board and whatever, but I'm just curious knowing whether are the academics coming to sort of refute, you know, Stats SA or part of their job also entails teaching uh, some of the sisters the black sisters that we have i mean the last time we spoke about uh maternal gatekeeping so to say uh, i guess with this question where i'm going is to try to sort of probe whether the issue is it really having to do only with what stats statistics south africa say or part of the problem might actually be coming from our own households where out of anger we might sort of give you know misleading information to statistics south africa but where do we draw the line then in instead of sort of maybe posing a critique. And I take it that earlier on you said you're not necessarily posing a critique to Statistics South Africa. But where do we draw the line, just as a general question, where we sort of say we should not maybe criticize Statistics South Africa, but we should see part of the problem in statistics, you know, coming from families, coming from us as, you know, citizens? Um, what you okay? So that is actually a very good point. It's it's. I, I think it goes very well with what we had in mind when we included statistics South Africa. It wasn't necessary to critique them, but it was also to, um, as one of the profs uh, here will say. Actually, I, I don't want to name the prof, but he will say, if you beat the statistics enough, they will start speaking your language. Um, but <laughs> so basically, he's saying that they can always be rigged, you know, um, and unfortunately. Every piece of data that um, can that usually depends on on, on on people can always be misleading one way or another, and and unfortunately, statistics South Africa could be uh, a, a victim of that because we need to also consider that some people might say that the father is not in the household because they're getting a sasa grant, <laughs> and so by saying the father is there, now there's a now there's an ethical moral dilemma there whether now should they be getting that assistance from the state because the father is there or not you know so some people might say the father's not there you know i think that's a lot more plausible as a reason as to why um there's so many fathers who don't show up on birth certificates that's a lot more plausible thinking of that, like the state um, thingy where, where people like actually the father not being there means that we can claim from the state. I mean, that's a lot more plausible than just saying that men are not there at all. Um, and that's basically what we're saying that 
contextualizing and actually trying to understand the different dynamics. And probably that's where academics come in because a lot of academics, we do this research, but then we do it in like bits and pieces there and there. And then there hasn't been like a holistic thing where it's, you know, trying to piece everything together because there are academics who do this research in different, in their fields. But it's when you look at it, when you're reading these papers, you're like, oh yeah, they overlap. But now no one really seems to be trying to tie all these things together. Yeah, but the, the same work can be done by scholars like you. I mean, you'll be, you know, progressing to your PhD level, probably you can help cover that aspect because I don't think this is inherently a job for professors and those are already doctors and whatsoever, right? Even even up, upcoming great scholars like yourself, you can do that kind of a work and show where the puzzle is missing and, you know, cover that nuance, so to say. In your, in your paper, um, you point out that Sorry, in the opinion piece, yeah, you point out that there is scant resources, sorry, scant literature that focuses on the role of, you know, other male figures in the family, particularly male cousins or uncles. What would you, where would you position that narrative in the con- in the context of fatherhood? And and this question, I think, probably the the way in which it comes out might be. Uh, might lack a particular context in a sense that if we had already perhaps discussed, maybe we can start with this, if we can discuss what is it exactly that you'd say you observed, apart from what statistics say about, you know, men are absent and whatsoever, but is there things that you can say sort of show to us a bigger issue about young black men who grow up without the presence of a father in, in their lives. Because I looked at also the heading of your piece, but I was like, actually, these narratives are now missing. If, if father absenteeism is an issue, how exactly is it an issue? But instead of addressing how exactly it is an issue, the critique went more to sort of point out uh, the shortfalls of, you know, statistics South Africa. Uh, so there's probably, you know, tons and tons of, you know, research around pointing out, you know, the fact that sometimes young boys who grow up without the absence, the, the presence of a male figure around them, emotions might stagger around. Um, there's a great piece which was published by Susan Pinker, who is sort of a clinical psychologist in 2019, uh, under, I think it was under the Wall Street Journal. And it, is, it was titled Aggression in Boys is a Family Matter. And basically pointing out that most of the boys that she sort of had to work with in her profession had issues with aggression. The reason was because the father was absent. So perhaps if we can start about those, then we'll go back to the other question that I was I sort of intended to ask as to whether the presence of other male cousins or uncles, would it cover that picture helping black boys or black, yeah, well, black boys who are growing up to be young men or in eventually older men, you know, do they get the necessary support to sort of conceptualize their own or frame their own idea of what fatherhood is and what manhood is? Uh, okay. So, oof, yeah, okay, big question. <laughs> but, okay, let's just try to break it down. So, how it works in the, in the okay, so that, because it's about township dynamics, that's what we're covering for the most part. But I think it can also we we'll also try to look at it in the rural areas, but in the townships, what happens is, um, but in usual dynamics is you have the father who's not there. However, there's usually always a male figure around. So that aggression usually happens when there is no male figure at all to look up to. So that does happen in some households in, in many parts of um, South Africa especially townships where there are no father figures at all um, for various reasons. Um, could be that the father definitely is what you call a deadbeat that has never had any interest. You find that in the family also, um, this young man who's growing up, he doesn't have any uncles. So his grandparents gave birth to like, like it's, it's women only. So you find that it's a very, and then you find that he's the only male figure in the house. It, it We've seen it happen. And what happens is um, when there is that lack of validation and acceptance from a male figure, a, a lot of young men tend to look outward. And by looking outward, that means that they will look for it, even if it's negative, but they will 
find some form of acknowledgement. So even if they start going with um, certain crowds, it's mostly because they are finally being acknowledged, something that they couldn't get at home. There's a male figure who's telling them, hey, you're doing the right thing. And usually it comes from an older male figure who probably has been in the scene for a lot longer than them. So that aggression or whatever, they feel validated and someone obviously sees that and says, hey, I can use this young man and gives them the validation that they need and they will go on whatever that they're doing. Some of them end up in criminal activities. However, there's also this thing where a lot of us, uh, even though uh, some of us have our fathers present or we raise our fathers, we still out there seek that validation from other older male figures, you know, what we call them the Khrutman, you know, like the older brother or, you know, the big man, you know, in the street when you're playing football, you want them to see, you want the Khrutman to see, you You know, you want the Khrutman to whistle, you know, it's very important. Um, so everything that you do as a um, young man in particular township, it, it is framed around the thing of you want your male counter, like I'd say male, um, old, but not just older ones, but also even your peers, you want that acknowledgement. And unfortunately for some young men, it happens in such a way that they firstly don't have that acknowledgement at home. Therefore, when they are out there and it's, uh, whatever activities they're doing are probably not even uh, legal, but the fact that they finally being seen, that thing of being um, seen and being heard by someone, it means a lot to them. So going into the first part of the question, that's that. And the role of male cousins and and and, 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 and other people, it, it, it becomes very important, especially when we talk about how fatherhood in many ways cases is uh, very situational. I'll make an example for myself. Um, actually, funny enough, I was actually at a traditional wedding <laughs> this past weekend and my father couldn't be there um, because of, uh, uh, for, for like, I wouldn't say personal reasons, but there were some reasons that he couldn't go there. So I went to the wedding because I was like, I'm going there on my own personal capacity. I found myself sitting in the table with the other elderly men in the family and I couldn't get out of it. And I'm like, dude, I'm a child. I don't want to be part of this. But they were like, eh, 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 eh. when we are not around, you must be able to do this. You will be doing this. So you will sit here as we negotiate with this other family. You must listen in. So every um, traditional thing that was done, I had to be part of it. And when it came for what we call members, so the basically the gifting of the family, uh, the because my father was not there, when they called out for the oldest man in the family, because my my dad's older brother passed away, so my dad is default the um the oldest in the family now. My dad is not there, so the, the other fathers were like, "Hey, yeah, you're gonna stand in for your father right there." It's you. You are basically your father right now. So in that scenario, in that situation of the wedding, some of the things that were happening, I had to be in touch with what's happening because they would always refer back to me during the entire proceedings, whether it was the the, the, the slaughtering of the scenario or even at some point they were like, hey, as the youngest of the of the young men, of the fathers here, where now you must cut the meat. And I had to be like, hey, my guy, I'm left-handed. I don't think everyone's going to find it pleasant that a left-handed guy is cutting the meat because traditional things. So that's how I got out of that. Thank goodness. But it's about understanding that it's situational. And for some people, the role of a father is played by someone who is not the father. For example, I'll just make an example. In Isizulu, there is no such thing as a stepfather. And Ubabumnani means two things. Either you're talking about a stepfather or you're talking about your brother's uh, 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 younger, uh, your, your father's younger brother. So it's basically, it's kind of like little father or deputy father. So in Isizuru, we are talking about deputy fathering here. So that means that in the absence of a father, there's someone who's there. So when you look at terminology and how there is that, what you call, um, depravity of language where they, you find that English does not have the sufficient language to explain mm -hmm. 
the, 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 the dynamics that happen in many black households, whether it's in the township or in rural areas. And that's exactly why we wrote this piece. And that's why it's very relevant because also understanding these dynamics because here I was at this event and I was surrounded by Abu Babegaz. Babegaz means female father. So in English, it's like, hey, that's an aunt. It's like, no, 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 no. In our language, these are substitutes for my fathers. You know, so if the, the men were not there, they would have been running the show. But then since the fathers are there, they were like, I, we don't want anything to do with that. You guys do your thing. I, we don't care. They were doing their own thing on the side. But it's, it's about understanding those dynamics and, and, and what, how important language is. And that's what we were trying to basically argue and why we were critiquing the definition of fatherhood from a colonial standpoint, that it takes away so much from indigenous knowledge um, that we somehow, when we look at that, we forget that um, our well, this is the work, what I can say is that the definition of how we see fatherhood, even masculinity, it's not reflected by, it, it's not reflected in our realities of our lived experiences of how we grow up. So despite maybe being raised by a father, you still have that one cousin who is your, like, yeah, he's that guy, you know, your father is there, but you know, even your father's like, hey, when he's with that one, ah, I know, I know he's in good hands. When he's there, and they're like, you know, that one uncle where they're like, oh no, he's with his uncle. I mean, my father's terrible at football by admission. I didn't learn how to play football from my father. I learned how to play football from my uncle. He was the football player in the family. My dad's family, they're all terrible and they know it. I'm glad they know it. They're terrible. <laughs> they're absolutely terrible. So, so yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure fatherhood is more than just soccer. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> But let me let me bring let me bring Noctula. You've been you've been you've been on the mic for a while. Noctula, just to deviate a little bit. Just to deviate a little bit, Noctula. Um obviously your piece was mainly about, you know, father absenteeism in black men's life. But I wanted to hear from you if you are sort of able to weigh in for us about whether you know the absence of a father is it mainly an issue to only black men or even uh, our young women go through challenges and what kind of challenges can you say from a literature perspective or data perspective you've observed um, uh, what would you say uh, father absenteeism over the young women has what kind of an impact does it have um, okay firstly I had a point for for the previous question yeah you can go on <laughs> So there's um so what Fuzila referred to is actually hegemonic masculinity. So there are dominant ways of um being a male, basically. Be it whether oh, so mostly it, it, it has to do with um money. So you're recognized as a better man if you have money. Um, if you like the idea of violence, if you have a lot of women around you and you're aggressive, basically you need to take on this dominant role and you need to be better than other men, which is why he mentioned that the whole idea is just to be recognized by the alpha male. So once you're recognized by the alpha male, then you're actually you, you, you're better than the other guys around you. And to answer your question on father absenteeism being a problem for black women, um, okay, I don't think I'm actually a good person to answer this because like I did state before that my father raised me, so I can't talk from a personal point of view on this one. But then apparently um, when women, when there's a lack of male presence in the lives of women, they tend to fall into the lifestyle of blesses or sugar daddies, and um, which sometimes causes a high, high statistics on HIV and AIDS, especially amongst black women, which is also tied to poverty as well. So the whole idea of blessers and HIV is usually tied to poverty, especially in the townships, because now you can't afford a certain kind of lifestyle or you just can't afford um, to live basically. So they're most likely to fall into a situation of blessings and HIV and AIDS. And also there's the whole saying that um, a girl learns how to love from their father. 
So if the father is not there, then how do they know what kind of love is right or wrong? Which is why we see women falling into, well, they become victims of domestic violence because the father was never there. Or sometimes the father was there, but then he used to be violent towards her mother. So automatically they think that, okay, so violence is acceptable, violence is okay. So it means that if this guy beats me up, then it's acceptable. So that's why we find that um, women fall into such scenarios and they are victims of domestic violence because they don't know how to love. Um, their father was never there to actually show them that, okay, so someone who loves you will care for you. They'll never lay their hand on you and all that. Um, yeah. Do you want to add? I know you want to add. I'm not. I'm not even sure what I wanted to add. I mean, you basically said everything. And and in a practical example, we see it here in the university setting. Um, uh, there's something that I didn't mention a bit earlier, but I am also a sexual reproductive health rights peer educator on campus. So I have to deal with this quite a lot, uh, risky student behavior. And a lot of it you find that when you engage and you have to engage with students, especially young students, um, both male and female students, uh, and some of them, it ties back down to um, how they see um, their early run-ins with, um, with, 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 with basically men. Um, so some of them will say, hey, listen, because um, my father's never around, when I, a, a, an older man gives me that validation, I'm, I'm, old, I'm, I'm good for it. So there is uh, some predatory behavior that comes up there that they that a lot of fell fall prey to. Um, and also when the father's not there, they're more likely to be victims of sexual violence when they're young. We, we can't forget that. Um, and some of them will see that as okay or whatever. And unfortunately, it usually is someone that they know more often than not. So it is usually someone, either a family friend or, and, and yeah, very, that's why I'm very sketchy about being called Malume. Malume, how, Malume. How, the, the, the negative connotation <laughs> of Malume these days. Hey, you see, so and as soon as they're like Malume, I'm like, hey. So understanding things like that and how now we are having these issues and there are a lot of young women and Amaplesa and we can, we can say Amaplesa is part of an entire predatory behavior because a lot of them actively seek out these young women who have these issues and they make it a point to keep them there as much as possible coercively because it's easier to get someone who you know they don't know anything else this is for them, this is okay. I'm, I'm in a terrible situation. But mm -hmm. Of late, I listened to Slavoj Zizek. I don't know if you're familiar oh, with yes, Slavoj Zizek. What a crazy guy. And he mentioned something <laughs> that made me to sort of think carefully about how funny the world is. But maybe before I go there, I wanted to sort of point out to you that now I'm a little bit conflicted because at one minute you're pointing out that uh, the presence of uncles and cousins is important, but at the same time, now you're talking about another aspect of an element, I, uh, you know, angle of uncle and you not being comfortable being called an uncle because it sort of holds a certain <laughs> negative connotation. So I'm a little sort of conflicted here, and and and, and I'm not I'm not sure. I think perhaps really fatherhood might need further further exploration as to what exactly does it mean in this case, um, with with all the responses and the fact that both of you still have your own you know, separate political views as to whether fatherhood should be inclusive of, a, of an age or fatherhood or father does not have to be inclusive of an age. But I don't know if you'll respond to that or not. Feel free to or not. But going back to Zizek, Zizek said something about, and I'm trying to sort of loop this around the whole idea also, uh, Matulis, or the whole idea also of blessers and so on and so forth. Because when you spoke about HIV statistics there, being linked to the blesser attitude. The whole idea about that is the fact that uh, very often young girls who've got, you know, daddies, sugar daddies and so on, they cannot really negotiate the aspect of using protection uh, during, you know, their sexual intercourse. So which is why the prevalence of, you know, HIV and AIDS growing is very much higher. They're definitely not having anything to negotiate on because they're also in pursuit of 
other sort of benefits. But Zizek said something about the terrible aspect of pain being inflicted on people as a form of punishment. Um, and, and he was sort of trying to look at something he called a, a nut crusher, something like that, which was actually a device which was used, you know, during, you know, Nazi Germany and so on and so forth. But when he was sort of searching that online, he discovered that actually today, you know, a, a nut crusher is in the connotation of some form of kinky sex. And I'm thinking about the, you know, the idea of now someone cannot negotiate, you know, elements of whether I need to have sex on a protection level. Therefore, I have to sort of allow certain pain inflicted upon me um, uh, because I have to get whatever I have to get. I have to get the benefits that I came here for. And I'm thinking about that also in the context, therefore, of, Mm -hmm. you know, the people that you often say who's, they can be beaten up and they'd still want to stay around an abusive person. Whether all those things, if you look at them clearly, having a certain tie around um, father absenteeism and also seeking certain level of relevance, um, seeking certain levels of acknowledgement from people. And, and who's on, t- on, on the context of sexual education, therefore, where would you weigh in about this, you know, with the growing trend of, um, 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 pornography where people can watch and see all this other creative stuff? So to say that basically promotes kinky sex and the fact and the fact that people wouldn't sort of even have much more to say. I mean, not so long ago we used to hear about the Dubai ladies who'd go there and they would be subjected to so many other things, you know, um, uh, feces on their faces and so on and so forth. All those things. Uh, I think I think perhaps with what I'm saying, if it might be difficult to sort of loop on around, is to say. All those things, how can we sort of do research in a sense that we we try to check how much more are they linked to either the absence or the presence of uh, a father, or it might even be a presence of a father, but an abusive father, an angry father, a father with issues who's sort of passing on those generational issues to sort of other young people. Okay, so um, just to answer part of your question, um, honestly, I don't think we can link everything to father absence or father presence. Because, okay, a father might be there, but then if he's unable to offer financial security or whether if he's unable to offer a girl child the type of lifestyle that they want, because we need to remember that there are other factors at play as well. So there's the whole slay queen (laughs) um, lifestyle that is becoming famous so if your father is basically unable to offer you that kind of lifestyle you are basically going to seek other ways to actually fulfill that lifestyle so which brings in the whole idea of blesses and um, transactional sex unfortunately for girls but then I don't think we can blame everything on father absence yes it is an issue because statistically households without fathers are the most poorest households or, well, they are mostly susceptible to poverty and other issues. But then if the father is there, but then he's unable to provide financially or provide the way that you'd want him to provide, then people are most likely to seek other ways to meet their types of lifestyle or... Am I making sense? No, no, it makes sense. I mean, what essentially also brings up to it brings it up to human agency. We need to understand. Um, even in those transactions, um, you might say that there is agency, but it's limited because of the power dynamics that are involved there, the yeah. one who's got the money and the one who isn't. However, in other relationships, you find that um <laughs> I'm not gonna start mentioning, but there's contracts involved in these things where people say if you overstep overstep here, I'm out. I'm walking out. Because that's that's how um some um BDSM relationships work, as we call it, BDSM. So there's a certain amount of um care and everything that involved in there. However, it's not something that is forced. It is not something that is uh, um, negotiated where people will say, hey, listen, you must, uh, because I'm giving you money. It's something that's negotiable. Someone say, this is what I'm into. And then the other will say, this is what I'm into. And then if they're willing to compromise, they will compromise. If they're not, 
they move on, they find people. So even in the kink scene, uh, people don't like going into kink shaming. Uh, but personally, I'm not into scat, what they do in Dubai, that whole piece of things called scat. It's a kink for some people. Uh, or golden showers. Eh, that's those where I'm like, I, as in, okay, guys, you, you're, you're not too, too much for me now. Mm-hmm. I think I also need to see my, my therapist. Uh, <laughs> now I need to see my own therapist. But, um, it, a lot of it has to do with agency. Um, how much agency people have. And unfortunately, um, there's varying degrees. Uh, of that agency there because of financial aspects of it and it also could be psychological for some people because you know not having a father around or not being from a well of family is the reason why they're doing it and so yes and that's why i even said that there is obviously predatory behavior that is involved there because a lot of these older men actually seek out these kind of young women who they know they can control. I mean, it's hard to go and control Unoktula Peza with her masters because mm. she usually can try to fall back on something. But yeah, they know I, there's always a level of manipulation and isolation involved. So. Right. Yeah. Oh, control. Yeah, and control. Oh, control. Not to with the father. Also, jokes. Yo, my dad. Mm-mm, he won't allow this. Oh, my dad will give me money for this. <laughs> <laughs> my dad. Right. Yeah, it's been it's been great. It's been great, really, having a chat with you. And perhaps perhaps this could be a right place to park. Yeah, this was this was actually enjoyable. This is good because it it felt like just a good chat instead of being something that's very academic. So yeah, <laughs> thank, thank you, Tony. Thank you. We got to make you giggle, so that's good. Um, <laughs> I always giggle. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <Not too late>. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for inviting us on your show. We had a good time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Fishes and Tones. That was uh, Neptula Peza and uh, Fuzile Joacha uh, talking about the issue of father absenteeism in the lives of Black men and would love to sort of continue with this conversation with you on our chats uh you can check on instagram at underscore visions underscore tones and thanks for choosing the visions and tones we'll catch you next time cheers